to John Swinfield's Big Business Podcast. And now, let me introduce your host, journalist and writer, John Swinfield. Hello, I'm John Swinfield. Welcome to Big Business. I'm a journalist and television producer, and I've spent much of my life writing and making films about business bosses. I hope you find this pod gossipy, irreverent, informative, and even fun. If you like the feed, please don't forget to click the subscriber button. Big Business is on every week at 11am GMT on Wednesdays. After Colin Chapman's death, Lotus Cars was on the chopping block, surviving takeovers and different owners. In 1993, it was brought by the extraordinary Romano Artioli, a car-mad Italian. He had previously spent and lost most of his fortune on building an avant-garde factory in Italy, trying to resuscitate the Bugatti car, a hallowed mark to aficionado. The plant he built was one of the world's most advanced, known as the Dream or Blue Factory, with its blue glass walls. Here he created the fastest, the most elegant and extreme supercar of the day, the Bugatti EB110. One of those involved in his attempts to revive Bugatti was Ferruccio Lamborghini, whose factory, like that of Ferrari, was sited close to Romano's Bugatti complex. Romano had built up a collection of priceless Bugattis, a name which had held him in its thrall since childhood. Romano oozed charm, vitality and persuasiveness. My wife and I became close to him and his wife, Renata. In the 1980s, he had run one of the world's largest and most successful Ferrari dealerships, selling the fabled cars in southern Germany and northern Italy. He was very Italian. Passionate, combustible, gracious, always immaculately groomed, and utterly besotted by beautiful cars. The four of us were going out to dinner one night in my Mercedes E-Class, a fine car, but hardly as sleek as the models in which he specialised. It is true, he smiled. Strong, built like tank, but Mercedes German quality is what Lotus need. On another occasion, supper at my home, Renata greeted us with a magnum of crystal, the finest champagne, in a carved wooden box lined with satin. It was shockingly expensive, and we said we couldn't possibly accept such extravagance. It is nothing, Romano said, in his broken English. If you not kindly accept, Renato and me insulted. I explained it could be seen as a bribe. I want from you nothing. We go, he said. This was Romano Tipico. We didn't want to insult them, so we swallowed the evidence, and that night, with Isabella, their daughter, drank the lot. Romano's English was beyond broken. It was fractured to non-existent, and my Italian was even worse. With concentration, 
and Romano's exceedingly Italian gestures and wild animation, one could just about divine what it was that he wished to say. He confided in me about a secret plan he had for Lotus. Lotus James Bond car, he said. It swim under sea like silver fish. Submarine car, yes? Aston Martin, famous Bond car, Mister 007. Aston Martin, owned now by Ford car. Lotus must join Ford and Aston with James Blonde glue. Yes, John, you understand? I didn't really. But whatever it was that he was trying to tell me, it sounded exciting. I finally fathomed that what he had in mind was the James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me, in which 007 drove a Lotus Esprit underwater, or so it appeared. Aston Martin, with its glorious but chequered business history, had been bought at the time by the mighty Ford Company. At supper, in his home, surrounded by his family, including his elderly mother, Romano rocked Elise, his baby granddaughter, on his lap. The Lotus Elise car had been named after her. Romano was a great family man. Wherever he travelled, his extended family always went with him. Elise is most beautiful little girl in world, he laughed, pouring the Chianti, inviting me to cradle Elise. Lotus lucky, he said. She lucky in having car with same name. She and car each very beautiful. My family everything to me. As I've said, Romano is very Italian. Did family mean as much as cars, I asked him. More, more. New fast cars come all time. You don't trade family like new model. My mother, she wonderful. Mother, Benito. Mother at family heart. Where we go, she go. Today she old. She spend hours in shower. She likes shower very much. It is Mama's great pleasure. Why not, John? Why not? When you old as Mama, you do please as you wish. Mama sat smiling at the table. Small, silvery-haired, eyes warm and shining, not understanding my English or Romano's mangled version. The idea of forging a link between Ford and Lotus danced around in Romano's mind. Ah, John, he said some weeks later, now you know lots people. We have meeting with you, me, and Fordman. Who is Fordman? I said I had no idea who Fordman was, but I'd try and make some inquiries. You fix, yes. I said I'd do my best, but I couldn't make any promises. I'd never thought of myself as a fixer but Romano had become, by this time, a close friend. I really could never resist him or Renato. Fordman, as Romano kept calling him, turned out to be a chap called Ian McLaurin, who I'd never heard of, but was an axial figure, one of the most important people 
in the UK and European car industry, running the Ford Giant in Britain. Romano swore me to secrecy. You not tell Ford man why I won't see him. Don't tell Ford man my name and me is Lotus. Romano, I said to him, how can I try to persuade him to have a meeting with you and I if he doesn't know who you are, the name of your company, and why you want to see him? He'll think I'm a nutcase. Even I don't really know why you want to meet him. He tried to explain his idea more fully, but I still couldn't really follow it. Why is you nutcase? he said. I know, understand. My English, caput. You not tell Ford man nothing. You mention no Lotus or me. We meet not at Ford as everybody talk. Everybody say, what's up car business? Why James Bond Lotus man meet James Bond Ford man? Look bad for business, yes, John? Workers begin worry about jobs. You understand, John? They think I sell up river. You tell him not nothing. It was never easy to understand Romano, and when he was excited, impossibly so. It was an extraordinarily silly brief. I was not a public relations man. I never took a penny for arranging any meetings like this. Perhaps I should have done, but it would have crossed a journalistic Rubicon, which I would never do. Anyway, it was a favour for a friend, somebody I greatly liked. I talked guardedly to Ford's PR people. So guardedly, I don't think they had a clue what I was talking about. They asked me to send a letter. The stock response, if you're being given the brush off, my missive was flowery, unspecific, and scrupulously couched. It didn't properly explain what our meeting was supposed to be about, or even who we were. To my genuine surprise, Ian McLaurin agreed to meet Romano and myself. I knew it was a good letter. I'd spent a long time on it, but it must have been even better than I thought. What's more, he even agreed to meet on neutral territory. Romano wanted it near Buckingham Palace, in the elegant headquarters of the Society of Automotive Motor Traders and Manufacturers. Getting an audience with the boss of Ford, one of the world's greatest vehicle companies, was a major coup in itself, especially when I couldn't tell him why. Persuading him to meet us at the Society's HQ was even more special. Some days later... Romano and I climbed the magnificent staircase in the Automotive Society, walls lined with portraits of car industry models going back to the dawn of motoring. Ian sat behind a large and ornate desk in a high-ceilinged chandelier saloon. As well as dreaming of a coming together of Aston Martin and Lotus cars, it transpired that Romano wanted to sell Ford advanced Lotus technology for coping with strict new exhaust emission laws. Neither Ian nor I were sure of why we were there, so Romano launched into an explanation, while we tried to decipher 
what on earth he was going on about. Romano's excitement was at fever pitch. He became manic and discombobulated. Ian looked on nervously. His guest was utterly incomprehensible. Arms flailing, hair flying, animated gestures. Perhaps Ian was beginning to think he'd made a terrible mistake by meeting us, and that he was about to be kidnapped by some insane offshoot of the Italian Red Brigades. For me, it was difficult to interpret not speaking Italian and knowing nothing about advanced exhaust technology. By this time, Romano was full throttle. He'd launched into a lengthy, technical and complicated pitch at a phenomenal rate in a mad mix of Italian and Pigeon English, looking and sounding as if he'd dropped in from another planet. In frustration, he leapt out of his chair, arms flapping, gesturing this way and that. John, John, you help, please, yes. But I couldn't, because I didn't know what he was talking about. He stepped in front of Ian's desk, and with his back to him, bent over, as if touching the floor, the jacket of his dark Italian suit rising up behind him, giving Ian an excellent view of his bottom, to which he kept pointing, comparing it to an exhaust. Lotus, Romano said, make from car bottom perfume, lavande, lavande, lavanda, il fonda, le parte inferior, sotto, sotto. Engineer Lotus make nice smell, estremita, il de sotto. From bottom, lavanda, yes, yes. His irresistible charm and sheer Italianness finally won the day. Ian smiled and began to relax, perhaps seeing that he wasn't going to be pounced on, hooded and bundled into the back of a waiting van. If this escapade won engineering work for Lotus, I never properly found out, though a while later it was hinted that it had. There was no grand coming together or union of the two distinguished Lotus and Aston Martin Marks, but Romano said after the meeting he thought it had gone very well. Later on he told me his engineers and those of Ford were having extensive, one might say even exhaustive, meetings about car fumes and emissions. At least that's what I think he was trying to tell me. Romano left England as suddenly as he and his family had arrived. He had bought Lotus from General Motors in 1993 and was its chairman until 1996, when he sold a majority stake to Proton, the Malaysian car maker. Lotus had class and heritage. Proton had the money. Lotus is now owned by Geely, China's third largest car maker and it has some exciting projects in the pipeline. I have an affection for Lotus, and I wish it well. I've met many petrol heads, but few, Colin Chapman apart, could match the obsessive romanticism of Romano. He once swept me away at an alarming rate in his personalised Lotus, 
we were going from his factory to a country pub for lunch. As he manoeuvred himself into the cockpit, squeezed behind the wheel, this elderly, silver-haired Italian, in his leather flying jacket with its fur collar, became transformed, as if in those moments he had instantly shed decades. As the engine crackled to life, he murmured, Lovely noise, lovely noise, John. We flashed through the lanes, the lotus wailing. It's like music, Romano said, better than orchestra. Ferrari, John, Ferrari different. Ferrari sing like Pavarotti, big growl. Thankfully, Romano was an excellent piloti. He said he felt the car like a racing driver. Car alive, car alive, John, is like human being. In the pub car park, he laughed. Good drive, fast, yes. In veins, John, you have normal blood. When I born, God give me racing oil. Lancia, Alfa Romeo, Ferrari. Oil thicker than blood. Engine oil, keep me going. Popper, Popper always had Lancia. I love Lancia. Engine like Swiss watch. Tick-tock, tick-tock. It's very sad, I feel, that in today's global car industry, which is in turmoil, having to switch from diesel to petrol to electric and to hydrogen, and where anonymous corporatism is now the convention, some of the outstanding personalities have almost inevitably faded away, replaced by professional managers more charmed by balance sheets than big ends. You've been listening to Big Business. This is John Swinfield signing off. Don't forget to click on subscribe. I'm on every Wednesday at 11am GMT.